Good morning. It's good to see you, church. What an enormously powerful truth. Jesus Christ is my life. I hope that's true of you today. I hope you've come ready to hear from him, to honor him, and to put him in his respected place. Next Sunday, we will begin a college Bible study, single adult Bible study, uh, at about 1 o'clock, and then we will begin to work uh, with some of our community young people uh, with some open gym after that. So those of you that are coming, looking forward to that, we're excited to host you uh, next Sunday. Uh, also, next Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday, and You know, well, uh, I will still come to church um, because the Super Bowl is not until the afternoon. And even if it was in the morning, Dan, I'd still come. Okay, I, w- I would. I don't know if Angie would, uh, but but I <laughs> but, but I would for sure. So, and, <laughs> and we're praying for Patty Landis. Some of you may have heard through texts and other things. She's in the hospital, not doing well, uh, but we're praying for her, asking God to help her, and, and uh, uh, pray for that. And then Shelby is with us today. Shelby back, she got a surgery coming up, and so let's be praying for her in March. Uh, she's got, a, I think, cornea transplant. If you get a chance to be around her during the invitation, be sure to pray with her. Uh, so we're glad you guys are here, and good to meet your husband as well. So thankful you guys are here with us at church, and, um, and let's pray. Let's pray before we get started today. Lord, we thank you for the word. We thank you for these wonderful people that you've gathered together in this place. People that have like temptations. People who are in a real world with a real devil doing real battle. People that have needs. None of which is greater than our need for Jesus Christ and his word. So we gather today hungry, thirsty for righteousness. And help us as we put you in your place today. Lord, I pray for these needs. I pray for Patty. I pray for Shelby. These physical needs. Calm them. Bless them. Raise them up. Provide healing, Lord. Lord, we look to you. And for all the needs that are carried into this room, unspoken today, I pray you will touch each heart and life. Make a difference today, as only you can. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It would be harder to imagine a more diabolical villain than Darth Vader. I mean, man, when I was a kid, I just will never forget seeing him for the first time. And hearing that breathing and that deep, thundering voice of James Earl Jones behind the mask. The villain of the dark side, accompanied with his intimidating outfit in every way, at least in those first six episodes, he was the ultimate antagonist for all things good. And yet, today, we're going to learn that There is a sinister villain who is not make-believe. He will, in fact, be a worldwide political and religious influencer who will be inspired and empowered by the devil himself. 
that will make Darth Vader look like your Sunday school teaching grandmother. The Bible is very clear. There is a coming Antichrist. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, little children, it is the last hour. And you have heard that Antichrist is coming. The world will follow him as is revealed in Revelation chapter 13. Ultimately, because he hates the world, because the devil hates the world, he will destroy those who are under his influence, although he has promised to them peace and security ahead of time. And the frightening thing about this story today is if you are outside of the person of Jesus Christ, you will be brought under his influence and you will be secured in your eternal destruction. Now, folks, the bottom line is this. Although we are talking about something that is very future, something that is very real, there can be no doubt that even today, if you are not quite careful, you can be brought under the influence of antichrist thinking. Antichrist simply means against Christ. Now, how many of you know there's a whole lot of that being peddled out here in our world through entertainment, through media, through our educational system, and there are real-life people against Christ here and now today. And so not only must we be warned of the actual coming Antichrist, we must be warned of the spirit of Antichrist that is even here and real today. So who is this beast spoken of in Revelation chapter 13, and what will he do, and how can we escape his unbiblical ways? So I want to invite you to Revelation 13, where we read, we're going to walk right through this passage, and I want to share with you what the Bible says about the beast, or also known as the Antichrist. Notice, first of all, with me please today, the description of the beast. Who is this beast? And the answer, very simply, he is a coming future world ruler who from a political, economical, and religious perspective will be under the influence, the direct influence of Satan and will cause the world through his deception to follow him to their eternal destruction. The United Nations World Health Organization director said these words, to achieve a world government with a world religion, it is necessary to remove from the minds of men their individualism, loyalty to family, nation, patriotism, and religion. Listen to this. In the 1930s, the prime minister of Belgium said these words, 1930s, the truth is that the method of international committees has failed. Meaning, when organizations from different uh, countries have tried to get together and make things work, it has always failed. And then he goes on to say this, what we need is a person, someone of the highest order of great experience, great authority, and wide influence of great energy. Listen to this, let him come and let him come quickly, 1930. Folks, never before has our world been poised like it is today to accept a worldwide religious and government influence who will literally disarm the world and will call together the nations under a guise of peace and will ultimately, under his satanic influence, break his promises 
and literally bring in the promised destruction of all those who do not believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, just look what happened to us in 2020. I mean, in 2020, in a matter of days, literally, Americans and the world laid down their rights and laid down their beliefs and laid down so much of what they believe all over uh, a disease that was very real and people's lives were destroyed and no question about that, but, but the fact of the ability for us to look to government influences and heads of state to make our decisions and, 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 and give ourselves, especially if they're pouring out economic stimulus checks back to us day after day after day. What a crazy amount of dependence. Are y'all listening to me this morning? What a crazy amount of dependence was created by government on people when they literally seized the rights of people and forced them to follow them. And so many people, even Christians, just blindly and quietly laid down like a dead dog and said nothing or did nothing about it. Folks, we are poised right now. The world is crying out right now for somebody to lead them, for somebody to promise there'll be no more war, for someone to lay down the ever so difficult differences between religions to create a new religion where all religions die, to be a person who promises hope and peace and everything will be okay and the world will follow him gladly, especially after Jesus Christ has raptured his church out of this world and the world is literally plunged into absolute chaos. The Lord will allow a worldwide leader to rise up from the ashes of all this chaos and seize political, religious, and worldwide power. Notice, please, verse 1. He will rise sovereignly. Then I stood on the sand of the sea. And i got to be honest with you, I, 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 I so oftentimes, prior to this study, uh, misunderstood that because the sea, of course, in the Bible, almost every time the word sea is mentioned in the Bible, it's a reference to the Mediterranean Sea, which is true, and I believe it's true here. But I've so often thought of this as John standing on the sea edge of the Mediterranean on the west bank of Israel, looking out over the Mediterranean Sea and seeing this happen. That's not where John is. Remember, John is in the Aegean Sea. John is on the Isle of Patmos, free-ranging out there, fending for himself. And he goes over, uh, and the Spirit speaks to him and shows him a beast coming up out of that sea. Now, it's not too hard to see how the two things tie together, but John would have been looking out over the Aegean Sea, more than likely looking out to the west of the Aegean Sea, and seeing uh, a, a beast rise up out of the sea. Now, many Bible scholars would believe this is a particular reference to a Gentile or an unbeliever. It really doesn't matter. What does matter is this. He is going to rise up out of the sea of humanity, likely not a Jew, not from Israel, and he is going to rise up from, no doubt, the west from where his vantage point is. And he is going to literally come. And he is going to be over what this text says toward the end of the passage. He's going to be over every tribe, every people, every language, and every nation. Now, now what's very clearly taught in verses 1 and 2 is that this beast is going to be a political superpower. Now, I need, you to, I need you to hang on. This first point, okay, we're going to be in Bible college for a few minutes. I gotta, but, I, but you have to see this, okay? Because if you don't see what I'm getting ready to teach you, you won't see how God has told us this was going to happen from years and years gone by. In verse 1, there is a clear reference to Daniel chapter number 2. In verse 2, 
there's a clear reference to Daniel chapter 7. Now let me remind you of what happens in those two places. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar gets the, the, the dream of the giant statue. Remember that? A head of gold, silver, bronze, uh, uh, iron, and then the feet of iron and clay, right? And the rock comes in and smashes the feet of clay, and none of us know what in the world's going on, right? And the image here of the ten heads and, and, the, and the crowns is imagery back to Daniel chapter 2. Now, what is Daniel talking about there? Daniel's talking to Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonians. He said there's going to come another nation after you. That's going to be the Medes and Persians. Then there's going to come another nation, or excuse me, worldwide power after you, and that's going to be the Grecians. And then there's going to come another one after you. That's going to be the Romans, the day that Jesus, or the, 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 the life that Jesus was born into. And then he says after that, out of the Roman Empire, there's going to become a revived Roman Empire where it is going to be represented by these ten, these two feet with the ten toes mixed with iron and clay. And it is that kingdom. Watch this. A revived Roman Empire into which the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return and literally decimate once and for all the earth's armies and wars and kingdoms that have fought against him. So understand that in verse 1. Verse number 1, this is clearly talking about the ruler of a revived Roman Empire, okay? Now verse 2, look at this, interesting in verse number 2. In verse number 2 it says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him power, his throne, and his great authority. Now that is a clear representation of what we see in Daniel chapter number 7, Verses 4 through 6, when, when Daniel again starts talking about the kingdoms, but now he's not talking about a statue. He's talking about how each of those kingdoms will rise. That's the Babylonians, the Medo-Persian, and the Grecian Empire. Each of those, watch this, is going to be represented by an animal. A lion, okay, a tiger, no, I'm just kidding. A, a lion, okay, and then there's going to be, of course, the bear, and then there's going to be the, um, the leopard. And, and, and you read that in Daniel chapter 7, verses 4 through 6. Now, what is God telling us here about this beast? Here's what he's telling us. This beast is going to be a, a sovereign ruler just like God promised. He's going to be, have worldwide governance just like Nebuchadnezzar, just like Cyrus, just like Alexander the Great. And then I believe what verse 2 is telling us, watch this, is that not only is he going to have worldwide power and authority like those governments did, but he is going to be an amazing blended picture of all of those leaders wrapped into one. He will be greater than Alexander the Great. He will be greater uh, than Genghis Khan. He will be greater uh, than Cyrus. He'll be greater than Nebuchadnezzar. He'll be greater than all of the Caesars of Rome. In fact, I believe he will be literally a mash of all of them and all their strengths and all their rulership, and he will, in fact, be a sovereign ruler over the world. But not only that, not only will he rise up sovereignly, he will rise up supernaturally. Look, if you will, please, at the end of verse 2. At the end of verse 2, it says this, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his authority. Go down to verse 7. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome him. Somebody said like this, take all the sin of all the world 
compress it into one human mold and empower it by the devil himself and out will come this beast. Daniel chapter 8 verse 23 says, In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, listen, having fierce features who understand sinister schemes. Watch this. His power shall be mighty, but it shall not be his own. When I say supernatural, I am telling you that there is supernatural ability in the devil. He is not God. He is lesser than God. But he has real, absolute, authentic, and awesome power. If you don't believe that, I mean, just start, just start back in the Bible with the story of the Exodus and watch how demon-possessed magicians can even mock and, 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 and even mimic some of the things that the Lord does. Make no mistake about it, folks. The devil is real. The devil is absolutely powerful. And when the real and powerful devil takes hold of this real and powerful man, what he will be able to accomplish through him will be virtually limitless. So we see he rises, uh, he rises uh, 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 as a supernatural power. He rises as a sovereign leader. Listen to this, number three, he will rise slanderously. Notice back in verse one again. In verse number one, it says this at the end of the verse, on his head's a blasphemous name. Verse six then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. This is what Daniel chapter 11, verse 36 and 38 say. He will exalt and magnify himself above every God. He shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods. He shall neither regard God or the fathers of any God. Now, folks, I'm putting this all together, and you're saying, well, look, this is insane, preacher. Like, like how in the world? Everybody would know this is coming. Everybody would know this is true. I mean, if a, if, a, if, a, if, a, if, a, if a leader rose up like this, we would all, and they all, would surely not be due. But that leads me to the second part, which is the most frightening part of the message, and that is this, the deception of the beast. The deception of the beast. How would anybody fall for the lies of the Antichrist? And the answer is very simple. He will be a deceptive leader and the world will fall for him in a strong delusion, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, that will literally be cast onto their eyes by God himself. And the Antichrist himself will deceive in two ways. Listen very carefully. Number one, he will deceive in his works. He will deceive in his works. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, watch this, with all powers and signs and lying wonders and all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not believe the love of the truth that they would be saved. Listen here. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion. What is he going to do? He's going to lie. How's he going to lie? He's going to first lie through his works, through his wonders, through what he is able to do. And the way that the Antichrist is going to sneak in and start his deception is according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, he is going to make a peace treaty for seven years with Israel, and the whole world is going to marvel at his ability to negotiate with the nations, to bring former uh, antagonistic heads of states together, and bring peace. You no doubt believe this guy is going to be the, on the front of Time magazine as person of the year. He'll be nominated for Nobel Peace Prizes. He will be, without a doubt, the most popular man on the planet. And then you tack on to that his ability to pull into the supernatural mysticism of people and the sentimentalism of people by faking his own assassination. 
Now watch. Look down, if you will, because you probably didn't think, where are you talking about, preacher? Look, if you will, at verse number 3. And I saw one of his heads, I think this is a key phrase here, as if it had been mortally wounded. That is a very important phrase. As if it had been wounded. I do not believe there was a literal, actual, mortal wound. I believe it's going to appear as if it had been a mortal wound. Here's what's going to change everything for Antichrist. Here's how he's going to secure the, the following of all people. You want to know how he's going to do it? They're going to fake an assassination. If you don't believe that, you don't watch enough TV, okay? I'm going to tell you that right now. There's going to be a fake assassination of the Antichrist, and then they are going to raise him up as if he was resurrected from the dead. Now, y'all hear me real quick. I'm talking about anti-Christ. I'm talking about the person that is against Christ. And if I did a full comparison this morning, which I do not have time to do, you would see that everything Jesus is, he is not. Everything that Jesus acts in, he counteracts in. Think about this. A fake death and a fake resurrection. Could anything be more in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ than a fake death and a fake resurrection? I feel like I might as well just park here for a second because I just felt the Lord telling me to do something. His death wasn't fake and his resurrection wasn't fake. It is as real as the seat you're sitting in, friend. Jesus died for our sins. And on the third day, he rose again the third day. That's not fake. That's not phony. That's not a fairy tale. That's not make-believe. That's not a cartoon. That is real. It really happened. It makes sense that the devil would counterfeit a death and resurrection to popularize this beast. So look at the end here. At verse 3, after this, of course, look at this. All the world marveled and followed the beast. Not only is he charismatic, not only is he bringing peace, but now the dude literally died, was shot, was a faked assassination in the head. And he rose up from the dead. Let's follow this guy. This is the supernatural man. Oh, wait, maybe like this. This is the Messiah we've been looking for. This is the Savior we've been looking for. And here's the bottom line. If you will not believe the real death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you'll be looking for something to substitute that for you. But listen very carefully. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is either Jesus or you will believe anything that looks attractive to you and promises you the hope that you are looking for. But not only is his works, or excuse me, are his works deceptive, his words are deceptive. His words are deceptive. Look at verse 5. And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue 42 months. Remember the 42 months, we've already studied this multiple times, is the three and a half years. We're talking about him rising and seizing power in the last half of the tribulation period and putting his deceptive spell on everybody in that last part. But how does he do it? He does it in part by what he does. He does it in part by what he says. Verse 6 again, he opened his mouth. Okay, how does he do what he does? He does what he does by speaking. In fact, this is what 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3 says. It says, that the, it says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless there be a falling away first. And the man of sin, that's the Antichrist, another name for him, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts 
himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself to be God he's going to speak how about this he's going to preach his own sermons about himself and with a pseudo wound on his head that's been miraculously healed people are going to listen to this man just like he's Jesus I read a story recently of a businessman in the Netherlands who was desperately needing a brand new uh, administrative assistant. And so he put out feelers, went through the interview process, and finally found his woman, a single woman by the name of Miss Neef. She served him in an extraordinary way for 15 years and filled the gap perfectly. I mean, she didn't miss a beat. Never missed a day of work in 15 years. Never made a clerical mistake in 15 years. Covered her boss's back just like anyone would expect a good administrative assistant would finally the day came for mrs neef to retire after 15 years not because there was a problem not because there was anything wrong not because she was dissatisfied but because she was coming of retirement age so her boss decided to throw her a retirement party and the entire office including the ceo was completely shocked when not one but two miss neefs walked in for the retirement party. She had an identical twin sister. And for 15 years, they traded days on and traded days off and took vacations when they needed to take vacations. And the other one would take a vacation when she needed to take a vacation. They didn't miss a beat. Can you believe that? And when he saw them, what in the world? He was deceived for 15 years. That's a pretty cool trick. <laughs> now, I don't know that there was any necessary harm done there, and I don't know that the boss really threw a fit about it. I mean, what was done was done, and they did their job, and whatever, right? But folks, listen. What seems to be harmless and innocent is a very real possibility of every individual in this room, if you're not careful, being deceived by the devil. If you do not believe something, you will fall for something. And I'm looking at people today, even though we are not in the tribulation period, we are very much here in uh, our lives, living them out, waiting for the person of Christ to come, inundated in a society that hates God, that is against God, that doesn't want you to thrive, that doesn't want you to succeed. It doesn't want any of you young people to grow up and serve God and do what God wants you to do with your life. He will do anything. He will speak any lie. He will speak any lie into the ears of any parent in this room. He'll speak any lie into the ear of a teenager in this room, to the little kids in this room, through their games, through their social media, through their classrooms. And that little voice will lie and lie and lie and try to spin you out into a life of not serving God, of not following Jesus. And I am telling you, you will need to believe something about the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, or you're going to fall for something else. And there's way too many Christians, hopefully not in this church, but way too many Christians, especially with the young people, they come to church in the back seats of their parents' car, tucked into their car seats, 
uh, with their families, and their families are all in, and their families love Jesus, and their families are serious about the Bible, but they're not. Friend, you'll only ride that so far. You will believe the truth, or you will believe a lie, and that's the only way that it can come down. I am urging you to listen to the voice of truth. I am urging you to live in that book. I am urging you to make the Bible your priority, to believe that it is real, to believe that it's true, to believe it is the authority in our lives. The deception. But finally, I've got some good news. I want you to see the deliverance from the beast. And let me tell you something about this beast. He will rule. He will reign. But it will end. Now, folks, I'm not going to get ahead of myself because it's just too good. But there is a chapter, and you can read ahead if you want to read it. And there's a chapter where this beast is going to lead the armies of the world against the Lamb of God. And he's going to somehow think, I think he has so puffed himself up by the end of the book of Revelation that he actually thinks, because everybody worships him and everybody thinks he's awesome, that somehow he's forgotten that, that, that the devil himself was thrown out of heaven last time somebody tried to stand up against Jesus. And he is going to literally lead the armies of the world into the battle of Armageddon and without even a sword drawn. Jesus Christ is going to wipe him out. He's going to wipe his followers out. And he's going to send him back to hell where he belongs. How many of y'all are looking forward to that? Somebody better help me. I'm looking forward to a day when the devil and the Antichrist and everybody that supports him and follows him and promotes him and tries to steal our children and our lives and our testimonies and tries to rob us of our joy and our peace. I'm looking forward to the day when he's banished there forever and ever and ever. There will be deliverance one day from the beast. The Bible clearly supports this. It tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, when the lawless one will be revealed, listen to this, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth. Daniel chapter 8, verse 25, he shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken and without human means. He's going to get his butt kicked. Well, let me ask you. I'm not asking you how Jesus is going to whip him. He's going to whip him. I'm asking you, is there a way that you can be delivered from it? Now, I want you to see something in the text. Look down, if you will, at verse number 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Speaking of the beast. Watch this. Whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, what is clearly implied here, I believe, is that during the tribulation period, as I've mentioned before, there will be millions and multiplied millions of people who will follow Jesus Christ. And it will not be without great heartache. In fact, the last verse of, the cha of this section, verse 10 says, here's the patience and endurance of the saints. A call. That's what the English Standard Version says. It's a call. It's a, I hear we call for the patience and endurance of the saints. The bottom line is this. There will be people in the tribulation period who will have to endure it. But watch this. The only people who even qualify that will not worship the lamb, I mean the, the beast, those who will not be deceived, those who will not follow him, there's only, there's only one group of people 
that will not, listen to it, the only people that worship the beast are people whose name is not in the book of life, which indicates obviously that the people who do not worship the beast are the people whose names are in the book of life. And whose whose book is the book of life? It tells us right here. It's the book of the lamb that was slain. Come on. The person that wrote that book is the lamb that was slain. The lamb that was slain put people's names in a book. And whose names are in the book? It's the people that have believed on the lamb of God. Those who have said, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And when someone believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, his presence blood will etch their name in a book and nobody will take your name out of that book are you listening to me today there's only one way that you're not falling for this there's only one way that you're not going where this text says and that's this believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved so here's my question is your name in that book because that's the only Thing that matters when you got saved friend your name got put in that book in Revelation 20 we'll see it later that book's going to be at the great white throne judgment and whoever's name was not found in that book is going to be cast into the lake of fire I'm telling you right now your name better be in that book I don't care if you go to church I'm not asking you friend are you going to church I'm asking you is your name in the book I'm not asking you, are you a good person trying to do the best you can? I'm asking you if your name is in the book. I didn't ask you if your grandmama was a preacher. I asked you if your name is in the book. It either is or it isn't. You're either saved or you're not. You're either in darkness or you're in light. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. There's no middle ground. There's no, I'm not sure. There's no, I'm trying to figure it out, work it out, or work the steps to get me there. No, your name's either in or your name is out. So where's yours? Where's yours? I mean, right here, right now, is your name in that book? Has there ever been a moment in your life where you have opened up your heart like the front door of your house and welcomed Jesus into your life, confessed your sins, turned your back on your own religion and your way of thinking and embraced Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven, knowing it's not church, it's not church attendance, it's not church membership, it's not baptism, it's not confirmation, it's not reading the Bible, it's not being a good little boy. It is literally only Jesus and putting your faith and trust in him. Has that ever happened to you? This is what John says in John chapter chapter 3 if you must be born again and if you're not born again you cannot see the kingdom of God friend I've got a birthday June 7 19 uh, June no, what is my birthday uh, June, <laughs> June 3rd 1978 I mean look I'm here today I'm breathing real air I, I, I think I got a brain that's working together that puts out sentences from my mouth I, I'm standing here today because I have a birthday I mean a literal physical birthday I'm 45 years old I was born on June 3rd 1978 everybody in this room has a birthday whether you know it or not you actually have a real birthday there was a day you were born into this world okay now here Here's a question for you. You've got one birthday. The real question is, have you had a second birthday? And I'm not talking about uh, being born some weird second time. I'm talking about, has there been a day and time in your life where you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And on that day, he saved you. He forgave you. He gave you hope for eternal life. And you said here today, you may not remember the day. You may not remember the time. I know where I was. I know where I was. I, come on. I know the spot. I was there just a couple years ago. I know where my knees were buried in the car 
carpet of a Sunday school class. I can still picture the moment. I can picture the day with my knees in the carpet, my elbows in a chair, and I asked Jesus to be my Savior. That was May 25th, 1997. As sure as I'm standing here today, I've had one birthday and two birthdays, and I have punched my ticket to heaven one day, not because of me, but all because of Jesus Christ. So my question to you is, have you punched your ticket? You say you don't like that language. Well, when you get to preach, you make your own language. Have you in your heart right now and in your life settled that issue right now? Yep. Right now. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He put my name in the book. I have assurances in my heart and life right now that I'm a Christian and I'm a follower of Jesus. Yes or no? It's the only way to be assured you'll be delivered from the beast. Let's pray. You might be here today, have never personally received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm telling you, friend, you may not think it's real right now, but I'm telling you one day there'll be, there will be a deception. The only way that you can be assured you're not going to fall into that deception is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and let his truth fill your life and your heart. That's it. It starts... The day you accept him as your savior, it continues as you become a disciple and you follow him. We can work through every piece of that with you. We want to be here for you. We've got classes, personal relationships, and teaching that we can help you take the next steps of your faith. That's why we're here. But friend, you've got to take that first step. Nobody can take that step for you. You have to open up your heart and believe on Jesus Christ. Listen to this. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He died for you. He rose again. He loves you. He is the only person that can save you. And today, you can accept him right where you are. You can call on his name. You can believe on him right here and right now. And I'm going to encourage you to do that right where you're sitting. Some of you are sitting there right now and you're thinking, man, I need Jesus, man. I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. Boy, I know everybody's felt that before, haven't you? I need to be forgiven. I need, I need Christ in my life. Well, right here, right now, if that's you, I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now. And I'm going to invite you just to open up your heart by faith right now. And just ask Jesus to be your Savior. You say, I don't know how. Well, I'm going to help you. Now, what I say doesn't matter. It's not a prayer. But you do have to ask and confess out to Jesus that you believe in him and you're claiming him as your Lord. So right here, right now, if you want to do that right now, then I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer, either out loud or in your heart right now. Just say it like this, dear Jesus, just right now, call on to him like he's sitting there in your seat with you. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. But I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me and rose again from the dead. Today, I accept you as my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me never to be ashamed of you. It's a simple prayer. It's a prayer that I believe God hears every time. 
And if you just prayed that prayer and you've been it, you're glad you did, I want to be the first to welcome you to the family of God. Is there somebody here that say, Preacher, I, I prayed that prayer and I meant it. So glad that I did just now. I prayed that prayer. I just asked Jesus to be my Savior, and I'm so glad I did. Would you let me know who you are by just slipping up your hand? Would you do that? Just slip your hand right up and then right back down. Who would do that? Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. Can I? Amen. Prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm glad I did. Meant it. I'm glad that I did just now. Just prayed that prayer. Praise God. Who else? Just slip your hand right up. And then right back down. We want to pray for you and help you in any way we can. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for the day. We're grateful for the word of God. I pray that you will work in a powerful way. I pray that you will bring people to yourself and help us to exalt and live out the truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet as we worship? If you haven't taken time to fill out a connection card, I encourage you to do that. Back at the Next Steps table in the back, people can help you with prayer. They can help you with a decision that you need to make. If you've accepted Christ, you can go right there to them. They'll be surely glad to talk with you and help you, tell you what your next steps are, be there to encourage you if you want to come and pray about something. Maybe some of our ladies can pray with Shelby back here who's having surgery uh, this coming week. If you, if you need prayer, just come. Come to the altar. We have people that will come pray with you. And that's a good thing, man. That's a good thing. So let's just open it up. We're going to turn our eyes on Jesus. We're going to sing. You can worship. You can sing. You can pray. You can respond. But let's do what the Lord would have us do as we close this service today.